Good morning. All right, here's what I need you to do. Find Esther, chapter 3, if you haven't already. And then we're going to start in Exodus, chapter 12. So, I'll give you time to do all that. Make sure I brought the correct notes. Gospel of John. No, that's not it. All right, a couple of things I want to mention to you before we get into Esther and what the Lord has for us today from his word. This Saturday is what? Yeah, you should say it with excitement in your voice. The third Saturday of the month, so it's our help group Saturday at the Bartlett campus this coming Saturday. So if you've not, if you've never participated in that, you will, you will be blessed yourself just for coming and seeing uh, how many families we help. So basically from 9 to noon is the, the peak time. If you want to come early and help set up or stay afterwards and help take down, that'd be great. But it's this Saturday at the, the Bartlett campus, all right? On Good Friday, April the 2nd, we're going to have a communion service at the Bartlett campus. So the whole church is going to come together Good Friday night. It should be in your uh, bulletin, and you can check. I'm pretty sure it's 6, 6 or 6.30. Somebody look and tell me, yell out what it is. 6, thank you. 6 o'clock on Friday, April 2nd at the Bartlett campus. We'll have a communion service together celebrating our Lord's death for us. Uh, It's a great time of year just uh, uh, thinking about how much Jesus loved us and proved it by dying in our place. And then the final thing I want to mention before we get into the uh, word for today, if you're interested in our starting point class, it began this morning. We have uh, three sessions at Bartlett, three of them here, 9.30 on Sunday morning, basically talking about what is the Christ Church, who are we, where did we come from, what do we believe, uh, why do we let people like Randy hang around, so, you know, questions like that. So uh, that started this morning, but you can still get into that. If you're interested, just give me your name and contact information, I'll pass it along to Mike Clay and he'll... He'll send you an invitation. He'll get in touch with you. But that uh, started this morning, and it's good for the next uh, ostensibly six weeks, but it'll end up being 20 or 30. You just, uh, they went to my school of teaching, so they may stretch it out a little bit. Hopefully six weeks, but give you a chance just to find out who or what is a Christ church. All right, if you found Esther, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 12, and then we'll be right back in Esther in just a moment. But I want you to start with me in Exodus 12, and I'll explain why. You'll notice the top of your handout is talking about your time. We dealt with basically chapter 3 last week, and the theme of the book of Esther is the providence of God. Is that his hand is there, it is controlling, it is moving, and God is, all, even though the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther one time, it's alluded to, we're going to see particularly in chapter 4, it becomes very uh, clear that they are desperate for God to intervene. But the name of God is never mentioned. You don't see them uh, openly seeking the face of God. But what you see is that God is in control of history. That God is using this moment under King Xerxes to raise up Esther to be queen of Persia, Esther who's a Jew, to save the Jews from annihilation. Talked about that last week. 
The reason that I want to start in Exodus chapter 12 is that this is where historically the moment that they are on the calendar is the same time as Exodus chapter 12. So let's just read these verses together. Follow along with me. Exodus 12 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his mate, neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And we're not exegeting this passage today, but it's really cool how we are headed toward Easter. This is God initiating for them as he prepares to deliver them from Egypt with the Passover. We celebrate now, we call Easter. But literally what we are celebrating is Passover. God's delivering them from Egypt, and the Passover, we talked about this a little bit last week, the death angel passes over, the house that had the blood on it, the covering, the blood, all of it picturing Christ. On the 10th day of the month, that the triumphal entry of Jesus, he comes in on the 10th day of the month. You take a lamb, male, without blemish, you watch it for three, four days, and on the 14th day, you kill it at twilight. If you go read the Gospels, Historically, Jesus came into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the month. On the 14th day of the month, they crucified him, and he died at twilight. It's all a picture. God establishing, this is how I'm going to bring the Messiah. This is what I want you to celebrate as my people that I have chosen through whom to bring the Messiah. This will be really important in Esther, and I'm going to get there. Just trust me. Maybe we've got plenty of time because it's actually only 10, 15. And when we leave today, you say goodbye to people on the parking lot. Just remember, it's only 10, 15. All right. So it is a, it's an amazing moment in history where God is setting them up. And this is what I am doing. And it's going all the way back to Genesis 3.15 where he told Satan, the seed is going to come and crush your head. And in the Abrahamic covenant, he said to Abraham, you're going to have a seed through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then we read in Galatians that God preached the gospel to Abraham and that that seed was Jesus who was the Christ. History is literally his story, tying it all together. So what you see here in Exodus 12 is God establishing this is what I'm going to do. This is the procedure by which I want you to celebrate my deliverance of you, which is a picture of salvation, my deliverance of you from Egypt, my getting you, sending you on the path to the promised land, which is a picture of eternity, justification, you're born again. Eternally, you go to heaven, the promised land. In between, it's the hard part, living every day. So you heard me talk about it many times over the years. That's a picture of the three tenses of salvation. Justification, God delivers you, Egypt. Glorification, you go home, the promised land. In between, sanctification, living the unleavened bread, all of that is pictured in the Passover feast of the Jews, which they celebrate to this day. That's what they're celebrating. So it begins with Passover, then you get unleavened bread, and then you get first fruits, the resurrection. So you're born again, you live, and you die, you're raised, you go home. 
All of that being pictured here. Now, I want you to notice verse 14 there in Exodus. We read 12, 1 through 6. Now drop down and look at verse 14. So this day, Passover, shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now, I'm not real smart, but I can make free throws, unlike my basketball thing last night, which I went to the University of Memphis. Here's what I know. Everlasting means what? means everlasting. You celebrate this perpetually, annually. I want you to celebrate this as this a picture. Celebrate who I'm sending for you, what I'm doing for you. I'm delivering you. I'm giving you. We get, we're not studying this, but when you get up, up to where they're supposed to go in the promised land, what does God say to them? I've already given it to you. Just go step on it. It's yours. Of course, they didn't do that, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. They didn't do it. But God said, just everywhere you walk, I've already given it to you. Past tense verb. I love that. You go over and study the book of Romans. When God's talking about salvation, he's talking about future events like glorification. And you know what tense verb he uses? Past it's a done deal in the mind of God because God is not constrained by space-time limits like we are. God is not past, present, and future. What's his name? I am, which, by the way, is right here, in, in, you get it in the book of Exodus. You just tell them, my name is I am. That's why Jesus said to the Jews in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God that was in the burning bush there with Moses. I am the one that was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I am the one that delivered from Pharaoh. So when you read the Old Testament and you read history, what you're reading is the story of Jesus of Nazareth, that he is and always has been God. He became Jesus, but he's always been God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He became the Son of Man, the Deliverer, the Messiah. Whew! Now we can get into the sermon. Go to Esther. Because here's the deal. The reason I had you read that. What's going on in Esther chapter 3, which is where we were last week. That, if you look there on your handout, it's filled in from last week. Their persecution. It's, we're discovering that it's Esther's time. And this is our time. Individually, it's your time. And that we are to be reminded that the king's hand, Proverbs 21, is, is in the hand of the Lord. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And he, God, it's like rivers of water. God turns it wherever he wishes. And Daniel, in order that the living may know the Most High rules, the Most High, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever he will, and he sets over it the lowest of men. And this is Nebuchadnezzar, I just mentioned last week, a pagan talking about the God of Daniel. Because he had gotten it. He had been shown by the God of Daniel that I am and you ain't. That's in Persian. I am, you ain't. Nebuchadnezzar got it because God got his attention. If you read the book of Daniel, you'll see that king after king after king. They suddenly realize the handwriting. Ever, ever hear anybody say the handwriting's on the wall? Where's that, where's that phrase come from? Anybody know? It comes from the book of Daniel. When another king realized, uh-oh, once it was interpreted for him, he realized, I'm in trouble. The handwriting's on the wall. Your time is up. And so they, they found out king after king after king. Pharaoh of Egypt found it out. 
when he tried to send his army across a, a river, the, the, the Nile River that God had parted for his people, and when they tried to come to destroy them, God said, I'll, I'll just drown them all on that same river. That God is God and you're not. So now you get to the book of Esther, and we've set up the time. And you notice in chapter 3, we saw what was going on with Haman, who is the, their enemy, and Haman has decided that he wants to wipe out all the Jews. And so the, chapter 3, verse 15 is where we left off last week. In Shushan, the citadel, and that's the, the winter palace of Xerxes, king of Persia, the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan or Susa in some translations, was perplexed. Haman and Xerxes, Xerxes is just totally self-absorbed. He cares only about himself. He's the most powerful man in the world. He'll do whatever he wants to. He can not care about anybody. And Haman is absolutely a pawn of Satan. He's cruel. He's vindictive. And we talked about last week, it goes all the way back to the Amalekites, that he had decided, and it shows you, the power of one man. He had decided that I am going to be the one to avenge the Amalekites and Agag, and I'm going to wipe out the Jews. We saw that last week. A very real picture of this in World War II with Adolf Hitler. We all know what he did. We all know the history. One of the primary targets of Adolf Hitler, he wasn't the only target, one of the primary targets were Jews. There was a man named Martin Niemuer. He was a Protestant pastor, and he became a public, outspoken foe of Adolf Hitler. And he spent the last seven years of Nazi reign in concentration camps. He's best remembered for this quotation. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. I did not speak out, because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. I did not speak out, because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Here's the point. Wherever we find ourselves as a culture, the United States of America is in some deep trouble right now, morally, spiritually, in many ways. But the message of the book of Esther, the message of scripture, the message of history is that the God that we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus of Nazareth, who was that God who came and died in our place that we might be redeemed individually. And we are the church. We are his body who he has on this earth right now for this time. His message to us is, I am here. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to stand for truth in a loving, compassionate, respectful way. Don't back down. Lovingly speak the truth in love in every place you get a chance. So here we are. You notice the end of chapter 3, verse 15. The very last thing it says, chapter 3, verse 15, is the city of Shushan was perplexed. Now, throughout the land of Persia, so we're setting up the context from last week, transitioning into what we're going to look at today. Throughout Persia, we talked about how it was a massive geographical area. It had all kinds of different cultures, all kinds of backgrounds and languages, and the Jews were everywhere. 
They were merchants. They were farmers. They were officials like, like Mordecai. And the very fact that now they've decided we're going to wipe out every single Jew on the planet or part of the kingdom of Persia, which, by the way, will also include the queen of Persia, Esther. We'll get into that today. There was, the city's perplexed because this is going to throw the entire kingdom of Persia into turmoil. But not only that, and this is my extrapolation, so take it for what it's worth. Today they're coming after the Jews. They're like Nemur. Maybe tomorrow they're coming after me. I'm not a Jew. But what if Haman decides he wants to wipe out my people? Apparently he has the power to do it. Or he is Xerxes. What about us? They were perplexed. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. Remember now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The law of the Medes and the Persians, once a king, in this case Xerxes, once the emperor writes a decree, declares a decree, and it's put in the law, who can change it? No one, including Xerxes. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. Again, a, a cliche that's used sometimes today. It's like the law of the Medes and the Persians. You cannot change it. It is the way it is. You have to live with it. So one of the things that's at stake here as we transition into chapter 4 is God's redemptive plan for mankind, his Abrahamic covenant. We talked about it briefly a moment ago. He promised Abraham, you, through you, a seed is going to come that every nation on the planet, not just the Jews, but every, and at the time there were no Jews, that every nation on the planet is going to be blessed through your seed. And, he, and when you read the Abrahamic covenant, it's an unconditional covenant. In other words, Abraham did not do anything to get God to bless him. Now, the Davidic covenant, the Noah's covenant, and other covenants you see in Scripture, the law, the Mosaic covenant, those are conditionals. You do this, I, God, will do this. What he said to Abraham was unconditional. That's why everything in the Bible and all of history is under the umbrella of the Abrahamic covenant. And he said to him, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. And where was Abraham when God was saying all that? He was asleep. He wasn't doing anything. But God said, I've chosen you, Abraham, and through you, I am going to do these things. Based on the nature of God. As you study scripture, what you see over and over again is that God keeps his covenant promises. I may let him down. He will never let me down. When someone gets married, they exchange marriage vows. The word that's used there is the word covenant in the Bible. You stand before an altar, you say to each other, I will do the following. Now, how many husbands have ever let their wives down? See, here's one right on the front row. Thank you, my son. I did his wedding. Um, Because we're not perfect, sometimes we don't live up to our vows. You don't have to worry about that with your father. Why? Because by nature, ontologically, by nature, he's immutable. And when he tells you, I'm going to do something, I will, what do you know? He will. That's so important. And that's why the book of Esther is in the canon of Scripture, to remind us. You may not hear God's name. You may not see God moving. You may, not, you may wonder, 
oh no, we're at the end. It's exactly where they are. As we enter chapter 4, the Jews are looking at the annihilation of their entire race. But what did God promise them? Through you, I will bring the Messiah. Therefore what? This is not going to happen. Hitler was not going to be ultimately successful in what he wanted to do. Why? Because God said, I will do certain things. And he wasn't through with the nation of Israel. Still not through with them. So here, as we get in the, as we are in the book of Esther, you see one incredibly evil man, Haman, who's decided we're going to wipe out the entire race of the Jews. And Xerxes has signed off on it. So now, your handout, number two, today's sermon. You've already got two free sermons today. Wow, buy, it's kind of like a fireworks stand. Buy one, get five. All right, here we go. Your pain. They're back to experience. They're in some incredible pain. They're being persecuted, and now it's gotten real. The nation of Israel is in crisis. Where's God? Where's our hope? The decree can't be altered. And it's Passover. And the reason I wanted us to read Exodus chapter 12 is that as Jews, when we read Exodus 12 to begin today, what they should have been doing this exact moment in history as Haman is declaring this decree, Xerxes is declaring the decree at Haman's behest, it's Passover. What should they be celebrating? God's deliverance from Egypt. The God, our God, the great God of Passover. But they're not. Because remember, this group of Jews, Mordecai, Esther, and the rest, they didn't return from Babylon, Medo-Persia, to go back. They decided to stay in Babylon, Medo-Persia, because they liked it there. They're worldly. But God's going to use them anyway. The message is, who's in control? The, our providential God. What they should have been doing was turning to God and begging him. But instead, they just try to figure out what are we going to do? Psalm 121, the Bible says these words. They're very familiar. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither, neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. I love to read the Psalms for one reason. These were what where Israel, these were like their worship time, they chanted and sang the Psalms. And you can see them memorizing these things and singing them corporately to celebrate who their God is. One of the best ways to learn and memorize anything is to put it to music. Like I, music that I liked growing up in, in uh, like the 60s and 70s, I know the, 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 there was no good music for after 75 because of disco, but there was some good music. And uh, my wife and I have totally, just totally opposite tastes in music. Um, 
So I have to go into the other room or my computer or my office or something, and I just, while I'm studying, and I'll turn on, like, I have uh, serious things. I'll turn on 60s on 6 or 70s on 7, or a lot of times I just listen to classical music. But if a song can come on the 60s on 6, and I can tell you, kind of like that, that old like, game show, after three notes, I can tell you that song. Why? Because I've heard over and over and over again, like the uh, hymns that we might sing or songs that we sing, uh, when you've sung them, you know every word. And that's what the, the psalms were to the children of Israel. We're celebrating who our God is because our God is real. He's not like the pagans that we're surrounded by. He's not just a statue that somebody made. He's real. He created the universe, and he's promised us, I'm not going to let your foot stumble. I'm, I'm going to be here for you. That's where we are in Esther because they don't have any hope. They all think we're about to die. What are we going to do? So let's look at their mourning. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Mordecai's mourning. Let's start with him. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, what Haman's Xerxes decree, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate. For no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. He was, the Hebrew here literally means he was so overcome with grief and a broken heart and in anguish. He put on the ashes. He would go out in public. He was like, I, I want to be publicly shamed. And then this morning, he went to the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. I really love this because it just shows you the ego of Xerxes, he had to stop at the palace gate. Now, he's publicly just weeping and mourning and wearing the clothes and saying, I'm in mourning. You weren't allowed beyond the, and he's, a, he's an official. We saw he sits in the gate. He wasn't allowed beyond the gate into the, because the emperor would not allow anybody that was in mourning clothes to come into his presence because it might be a downer for him. We can't have that. You can't, we can't have Xerxes have a bad day because he might issue another decree. He has that power. So he had to stop at the gate. But he's a, again now, he's an official. They know who he is. Now he's out here publicly in mourning. They don't know why yet, but they know he's in public mourning. Look at verse 2 one more time. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one could enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Don't bring your bad day into my presence, said Xerxes. Now let's look at the Jews as a group. Verse 3. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. This is throughout the Persian Empire. Total desperation. There's no hope. If God doesn't intervene, we have no hope. And remember just... So we'll be, um, historically, we know where we are. This also included those who had gone back to Judea, to Palestine, to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. They were still under the Persian Empire. And so this message was coming there as well. Now let's look at Esther's morning, verse 4. So Esther's maids and her eunuchs, and it came and they told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. 
Esther called Hathathiak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he, whom he had appointed to attend her. She gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. Why is he in mourning publicly? He can't even come in here. Why is he doing this? So Hathiak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in the front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to, to pay into the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. You remember last week that this amount of money, they're not exactly sure, but it was at, at the least, at the very least, it was in the billions of current dollars. And it was two-thirds of their annual taxable income was what Haman said, I'm, King, I'm going to get back to you, appealing again to the ego of Xerxes, even though he had, had everything he could want as far as money. But Haman was saying, by the way, if you need any money, I'll take, I'm going to pay for all this, and I'm going to put two-thirds of your taxable income back into the king's treasury. This would be your bailout plan if you need one, Xerxes. So Esther doesn't really know what's going on. She sends clothes out to Mordecai, and the custom is you get clothes, you replace what you're wearing in sackcloth, and then you can come in to the palace. You couldn't otherwise. New clothes meant this time you can move on. So she sends Hathak out to find out what's going on. He tells him. So, again, at this point, she doesn't really know everything that's going on. All right, let's transition to number three on your handout. Here's the predicament. Look at Esther's dilemma, verse 8. So Mordecai also gave Hathak a copy of the written decree for the destruction of the Jews, which was given at Shushan, the palace, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her that he might, that he might command her. Hathak through Mordecai, that he might command her to go into the king Xerxes to make supplication for him and plead before him for her people, the Jews. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and, and, and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who's not been called, he has but one law, put all to death. Put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into king to the king Xerxes these thirty days. Remember now, she's been chosen to be queen. She replaced Vashti, and she's the queen. And yet, for thirty days, he hasn't called the queen to come into his presence. You're not you were not allowed to go into the presence of, of Xerxes unless you were summoned, unless you were called. Now he had plenty of concubines to take care of what he wanted. So he hadn't called her, which meant, I don't know if I'm in favor, and this is very important, this little word favor is going to become very important as we walk through the next few chapters. I don't know if I'm in favor with the king right now. And if I go in to the presence of Xerxes without being summoned, what is she saying here? That's what would happen to me. I'll be put to death. I could, more than likely, I would be put to death. We'll see in the next couple of chapters how that does not happen and part of why that is. But in her mind, as the queen of Persia, knowing the rules and the laws, if I go in to him unsummoned, and he hasn't summoned me for 30 days, so there's no reason he's going to summon me anytime soon. If I go in there and he has not called for me, he probably is going to execute me or have me executed. So he said, you show these to Esther. Now Mordecai's point through Hathak, he was saying to Esther, what? You're the queen of Persia. You're also a Jew. 
you're also under a death sentence as a Jew. You're our only hope. You got to go to Xerxes and plead for your people. Beg him not to do this. This decree, don't carry it out. Don't destroy the Jews. Look at verse 9 one more time. So Hathach returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. It's really interesting how God does things ironic. We'll see some more irony next week. But Hathach's name in Persia means the truth. The truth. So here it is. I'm bringing you the truth because I am the truth. It's what Mordecai says. Remember now, Mordecai, I mean, Hathach is just a Persian. He's, he's been assigned to her to, as one of the eunuchs that was assigned to her to take care of her. So Mordecai is taking a big risk just telling him because he probably was going to do, could do what? Just run straight to Xerxes and say, that's what Mordecai is saying. But they're desperate. Mordecai's desperate. The Jews throughout the land are desperate because his decree has gone out. So her fear is, this could end my life truly between a rock and a hard place. He could kill me as a Jew or he could kill me for coming into his presence unsummoned. So let's look at her decision, verse 12. So he told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think it in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther told them to to reply to Mordecai, You go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way, and he did according to all that Esther commanded him. So they tell Mordecai about Esther's fear. Here's his response, verses 13 and 14, particularly verse 14, is the key verse of this whole book. There's a real message here. But the first thing he says, Mordecai's first response to Esther is what? Do you think because you're a Jew you're going to escape? You're not. In other words, he's saying to her, Look, just because you're the queen, you're still Jewish. And if they wipe out all the Jews, that includes you. You need to understand this. You know, he's, he's, again, not appealing to God at this point. Just saying, you're in, a, you're in a position to do something about this, and nobody else is. Are you going to step up? What's the title of today's message? It's your time. What are you going to do? And then you get to verse 14. Probably the only verse, not probably, it is the only verse in the book that hints at the name of God. Look at what he says. God will provide for his people, quote, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. That's a Hebrew euphemism for God, the place. From another place, even if you, Esther, refuse to step up, Mordecai at least knew what? The covenant faithfulness of God. He will deliver his people. Again, we've talked about several times. They're not active spiritually. They're not celebrating Passover. They're not where they need to be. But he knew the truth. 
so true of so many people who attend church. Even though church attendance in America is declining rapidly, there are a lot of people who know truth, even not necessarily attending church. They know doesn't mean they're living it, doesn't mean they're surrendered to it, doesn't mean it, it's what dominates their life. But he knew that as a Jew, God had told us that he would provide relief and deliverance because he's faithful. God's plan will take place. In Jeremiah, the Bible says this. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night. He disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, the moon, the stars, the sun, the sea, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched and beneath Searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. And they've been very rebellious. I love that passage because here's what God is saying. He was saying it to Israel and he says it to us as his children. You've heard me say this before, but it really helps me. I can look out through the two slats in that door out to our parking lot. You know what I see? Sunlight. Sunlight. I love to go outside on a clear night, even, even living in a subdivision where there are lights. On a clear night, I can go out in my driveway and I can look up. I can see the moon. I can see the stars. I love to go to the ocean at night and just sit there at dusk, watch the sunset, listen to the waves. And here's what God is saying to us as his children. Every time you see the sun, Every time you look at the stars, every time you hear the ocean, every time you think about creation, you see it, you experience it every moment of your life. The reason we can sit here and breathe and worship together is because God placed planet Earth exactly where he placed it in the universe so that we can live. And it's a reminder constantly, God is saying, as long as that stuff is there, guess what? I'm here. I haven't cast you off. I'm here. If you don't have anything else, and I love to just go sit out in my driveway or stand out, and I go out in my driveway and shoot basketball and, and, or sit, sit out there and read, particularly when you, know, you go, I hate cold weather. Just, <laughs> I just hate it. And, and I love where right now, and I love early fall, and I love to just be outside. You know, I can't wait to start doing yard work. I know that sounds crazy, but I can't wait to go out to blow the, the dead leaves out of my backyard. Just be out there for six or seven hours, and then because Mary don't come outside. Oh, I didn't say that, did I? She don't do outside, so I, lo- I love to go outside. And one of the reasons I love to play golf, it certainly has nothing to do with my acumen at playing the game, is I just love to be out, like there's a little golf course in uh, Drummond's, Burleson, wherever it is, headed toward Christmas City called Forest Hill. I love to play that little golf course because it sits out, you're in the woods. Or the one up at Chickasaw, you're just playing, you're just out in the woods. And I love to just be out there and enjoy and laugh at people that I'm playing golf with while they laugh at me. 
I love to just spend that time. And one of the reasons I do is it's it just a constant reminder to, by my father that I'm here for you, Randy. I know it's a tough time. Mordecai knows that. He's not living in the reality of it, but he knows it. That's why when you're sharing your faith, and the reason this is our time as the church, for whatever reason God has chosen to place us here at this moment in time in history, whatever age you might be, old like me or young like Cameron, whatever age you are, God has you there to that moment. It's your time to say to people, do you really know who Jesus Christ is? Let's talk about creation, your conscience. Even if you don't, if you reject the Christ of the Bible, where did that stuff come from? Let's talk about it. Let's dialogue about it. Because he loved you. Let me tell you who he really is. Not, not who you think he is. Maybe you've had a bad experience at church. And there are a lot of those that happen. We talked about Robbie Zacharias a few weeks ago and just what a horrible blow that was to the church. That wasn't Jesus that did that. That wasn't Jesus. He will never hurt you. He will only love you, take care of you, give you peace, hope, joy, a reason for existence, everything you want. He'll give it to you. Not financially like some people tell you. He's going to take care of you. Are you going to get sick? Yes, Living proof. My wife, living proof. You're going to get sick. But he's going to carry you through. And then one day he'll take you home to paradise. We have a message to share that our, our nation desperately needs. Your neighbors need it. I've talked to one of my neighbors this week, and he's a great guy. I love him. I love talking to him. He's got a sweet family. And just to see a guy with, with four young daughters. I'm thinking, better you than me. Great guy. And to think, man, how special it is to love your kids as they grow up and then as they become teenagers and they want nothing to do with you anymore. You still get to love them and help carry them through. And guess what? Even when they're adults, that never stops. It just carries on. Why? Because our God loved us. We get to turn around and share that with others. So Esther's decision, verse 16. By the way, I don't know if you write in your Bible or not. If not, just write it on the person next to you. Verse 16, this is a turning point in history. I hope I've emphasized for you that the nation of Israel was sitting on the brink of total destruction if Haman had his wishes. Verse 16, it's a moment in history where it changes. She said, gather the Jews fast, and then I'll go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. What's Esther's decision? Number one, it's my time. I will do it. She says, you go. She chooses to act for God's way. Again, not necessarily knowing all the reasons why. Despite the fear, despite between a rock and a hard place, she says, I'm going to lead. I'm going to do. God put me here for this moment. I'm going to try. These are my people. Call for a three-day fast. 
It's very unusual. A fast usually was a one-day thing. And the picture here is we're not going to eat or drink for three days. How many of you can go three days without eating or drinking? How many of you go three hours without eating or drinking? In other words, if a fast is normally one day, and this is she calls for a three-day fast, what's the picture? This is a very serious thing. Really serious. We're going to, she doesn't say we're going to get before God, but that's the picture of fasting, is that you, you give up food to spend that time doing what? Focusing on spiritually. Where am I, God? What do I need to do? What do I want to hear from you. He said, tell the people, tell the Jews everywhere that I, the queen of Persia, am calling for a fast, and then I'll go into Xerxes. And in the context of the book of Esther, there's now a shift. Prior to this, who's giving the orders and telling people what to do? It was Xerxes, Haman, and Mordecai. Going forward, who is who is it? It's Esther, which is really fascinating because she's a woman. You don't, you don't, you see some women in leadership in scripture, but it's, it's rare. God, again, sending a message. I'm in control. Xerxes is in my hand and I'm going to use Esther to save my people because that's why I raised her up for this moment. She's going to be the hero. She's no longer just a beauty queen. She's now the queen of Persia who's going to save the children of Israel. So she said, after the fast, I'll go in and talk to Xerxes. I will go. Which, by the way, without an invitation, she's going to, when she goes in there, she's expecting what? It could just kill me. If I perish, the bottom of your handout, if I perish, I perish. After three days without eating and drinking, what was she going to look like going into the, before Xerxes? Dehydrated. My wife and I spent a lot of time, starting in Thanksgiving, going to the hospital. About every 10 days, she was dehydrated. You ever been around somebody who's truly dehydrated? It's tough. We had to go about every 10 days at her just to get fluids because she was going to die. She was getting, getting close. We were looking at taking even, even bolder steps, something that in God, through my dear brother and his mom and some others, God took care of it. And she's doing great physically, doing great. But it's God's timing, not mine. I'm, we talked about this before. How often do you think Mary and I beg God, heal this now, now, please, please? We had to go through it for three months, four months. Does God make mistakes? Taught me so much. Taught her. It made me, if nothing else, value the prayer life and the love of my sheep. God taught me so much about what it means to really care, genuinely care about someone. She said, if I die, I die. So here's the picture. We trust God for us applicably. We seek God's face, the picture with the fast, and then we act. It's a great passage in Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite books in the Bible, that and the Gospel of John. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
The picture there is this. God says, I save you. And I'm at work in you. When he says work out your own salvation, the very next verse says he is at work in you. Cooperate with the prompting of the Holy Spirit and do what God wants you to do. You trust him. You seek his face. And then you go do what he tells you to do. If you, read, if you study the word faith and believe in the Bible in the same Greek root word, and you run it through, it's always, inexorably, every time, faith is followed by obedience. You trust God, you do what God tells you to do. So the final point in your handout, that's who your God is. Verse 14, one more time. Your providential God, he will provide for you, and he wants to use you. Jeremiah 29, God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah spoke those words to the Jews who were about to go in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And he said, God didn't want to hurt you. You're being punished. But God's going to do great things. He's got great plans for you. Here's my last encouragement to you, and then we're done. Sometimes, I've, I've, and I know, you may have been this way. I certainly have known a lot of people that way. And, and believe, I'm talking about Christians now. They say, no, there's no way God can use me. I got too many problems. I got too many hang-ups. There's no way God can use me. Let's give you a few examples, and then we're done. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Moses was a murderer and a stutterer. Gideon was terrified. Samson was simply a party animal. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer, a murderer, and a liar. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah was a racist. The Samaritan woman at the well had been married five times and was living with the sixth man. And Lazarus was a corpse. And yet, what did God do in every one of those situations? He used them. Every funeral I do, I quote on the story where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Where he says, if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. Lazarus was standing there, getting ready to stand there. What a great object lesson. Uh, There's a corpse. Now he's standing here talking to you. You may die physically, but you do not have to die spiritually. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. On April 18th, 1581, Martin Luther was called before the Diet of Worms and and they demanded that he recant his teaching of salvation by grace alone, through, through Christ alone. Here's what Martin Luther said. Since your most serene majesty and your high mightiness require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one. And it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the council, because it is as clear as noonday that they have fallen into error and even into glaring inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not this day brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. That was his cogent, (laughs) brief answer. Must have been a preacher. Now, what's the point? It's your time. My time. 
And it's great to have a time. If you're a Christian, God saved you for this time. Doesn't mean you're going to be the greatest theologian, the greatest speaker. It means you interact with people every single day, somehow, some way, particularly now with all the tools we have. Pray, seek, beg God to give you opportunities to share the gospel. Dialogue. Don't be afraid of people's questions. Anybody ever ask you this question? I promise I'm done. Has anyone ever asked you this question? If God, if there is a God and he loves us, why do bad things happen? I guarantee you, and you get serious about sharing your faith, you're going to get that question from almost everybody you talk to. And you know what? It's a tough question. It's a tough question. Let me give you one simple answer. God can wipe out evil just like that. And the day is coming when he will destroy. Judgment is coming. He can wipe out evil throughout planet Earth right now. But you know what that means? He's also wiping you out. Because you're what? You're evil. You're a sinner. Not you're a bad, you're not Hitler. But you're a sinner. Now for those of us that are believers, that's okay because we get to go to heaven. Let me ask you this simply. This is what's the burden of my heart. How many of you, and I want you to raise your hands, and then you can come up here and tell us, no, but I do want you to raise your hands to this question. How many of you know somebody that you really love that you're worried about their eternal destination? Every hand in the room is up in it. Do you want God to wipe out evil? No, you don't. If, if for no other reason, I have two siblings. Both are lost. I'd like to see them say before God wipes out evil. That person you just raised your hand about, do you pray for them? Do you pray for them to get saved? You better. Because without Jesus, they have no hope. When you pray for your nation, you pray for your president, you pray for those people, sometimes they're hard to pray for. But God commands us to pray for them. Why? Because Jesus is their only hope to get it right. They make so many stupid decisions. Pray they would get Jesus. Then make their decisions based on that. We got nine sermons today, and we're only five minutes over time. All right, would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, I pray you use your word in our lives, starting with me every day, that you'd motivate us, you'd challenge us, remind us, That you're right there. You didn't go anywhere. You didn't stop being God when the pandemic hit. You didn't stop being God when elections take place. You didn't stop being God when people people get sick, when they're hurt, they lose their jobs. You're still there. You're still God. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You talk to Abraham. You're talking to us right now, the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray we would respond. We'd be serious about our faith. As believers, we would beg you, Father, use us to share the gospel, because without Christ, there is no hope. With him, there's all hope. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. If you're here in the house, please stand as we sing this final song.
Coop, you're all right with me, man. Thank you all. That was really uh, special. A couple things I want to mention to you. Chad, do you have the microphone? You can get it from Stan. I'm going to have Steve close us in prayer in a moment. Uh, I just want to briefly share my heart with you, and then we're going to, I promise you, I'm going to get you out of here before. You know, it's only 11.10. I think Peter managed to get, he gets that clock set right. I wonder why. Oh, you know how preachers are. So, it, it, I just want to, again, tell you guys, whether you're watching at home or you're here, how much we as, as elders, and I'm speaking for all our elders, how much we love you and appreciate you, your faithfulness. We're getting really close on getting started next door. We're so excited about that, um, that God's going to let us get in there and see what he's going to do with that. And it's your faithfulness that makes that possible. Uh, continuing to give, even though you may not be in the building, I get stuff in the mail, the checks in the mail, absolutely, it actually is in the mail, and uh, somebody's just doing direct deposits from your bank account and giving online, uh, I had one lady comes by, she just parks on the parking lot and I go out and she hands it to me, and uh, I told her to start giving cash that way, and if I didn't get in the building, it wouldn't, no, I'm just eating. We are grateful, uh, I was talking to a, a dear friend of mine this week, and uh, he pastors in a denomination, and He'd gone through a really tough time. Others here can appreciate this. And the denomination has pretty much told him he's not welcome anymore. And he was so hurt. And uh, I just thank God that, that I serve, and I know we do as elders, where we serve. Uh, not that we're overlooking sin, but you put up with me. How many of us are not sinners? And the fact that you faithfully give, and you support, and you care, about your church, um, Christ Church is, uh, as of 1st of April, I've been here 38 years, 37 years, and uh, I can't thank God enough for what he's done in my life by allowing me to be here, and ever how much longer he allows that to happen, sometimes I can't find my way here, but if he allows that to take place, it's a it's an honor for me to be your pastor, I want you to know how much I love you, and Having said that, please uh, just continue to faithfully give because we can't do, the church is desperately needed, but we can't do what the Lord wants us to do without money. But he gives through his people. So thank you for your faithfulness. I love you. And uh, remember, when we get ready to leave, we've got to stack everything up. I'll give Chad a chance or whoever, spray it down before we stack the chairs. Steve. I got next week's.
outlined in here for you. I finished. I'm proud of myself. Have we got somebody spraying the chairs, Chad? Yeah, I'm about to go back in there. We've got somebody walking around fresh, too. She's odd looking. Oh, okay. Thank you. We can get somebody else to spray it if you need to take care of that. All right.